Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
everyone, and welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. This is T. Love, your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a Reiki master and certified sound therapist with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where we are streaming to you live as we do every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so if you have a question, go ahead and post it, and we'll do our best to get your question on air. As an alternative, for those of you who are on the go and you can't continue to listen online, you may call us directly by dialing 347-202-0227, and that way you can listen via your phone, or please be sure to use Bluetooth if you are driving around. Now, before I begin, I'd like to thank my friends at AdRunner for spreading the word about Energy Awareness Radio. If you're tuning in from Sussex or Morris Counties in New Jersey, you may have seen my digital ad running in the Jefferson Diner, the Randolph Diner, or at Casa Mia in Sparta. The company running these screens is called AdRunner, and they have screens in various eateries all across New Jersey. So if you're looking for something, a place to run your ad, this is a wonderful place to do that. Whenever I have changes, they make the necessary edits. The ad is up and running the next day. And people have told me that they found out about this show, Energy Awareness Radio, from the Ad Runner screen. So I'm very thankful to them and very pleased with Ad Runner. Also, over the past couple of weeks, I've received many, many, many inquiries about my CD Imagine. It is a CD that's available on my website, quantumwellness.org. It consists of four tracks or 70 minutes in total of quartz crystal singing bowl music. And the music was recorded without any digital re-engineering or remastering whatsoever. So it is organic in that what you hear on the CD is exactly what you would hear if you attended one of my live concerts. Nothing was done to fix or alter the way the bowls played. And I've really had a huge response from people regarding the bowls, and the feedback's been most impressive with comments about how people have experienced improved sleep, they have more energy when they wake up, there's more clarity for them throughout the day, pain levels have decreased, and some have even told me they found that there was a direct correlation between when they began to play the CD and a sudden turnaround with a particular medical issue. Now, I have seen this when I do treatments on people or in concert, but it is very cool to know that you don't need to attend a concert or come in for a treatment to experience the healing benefits of the quartz crystal singing bowls. So if you already purchased the CD, use it. That's why you bought it. Listen to it. Play it. That's what it's for. If, however, you are having trouble with my site, that really should be rectified now. So you can go ahead to quantumwellness.org after the show and check it out. It Really, it should be functioning right now. <laughs> We're hoping. Okay. Every one of us aspires to live consciously. At least I hope we do. And every one of us also wants to age wisely. At least I think we do. I know I do. Unfortunately, in our society, once you hit a certain age, respect seems to disappear, and along with that go our dreams of believing that we can still make a difference. We're really not aging wisely when we ignore those who are older simply because of the fact that they are indeed older. We're talking about tips for a lifestyle revolution tonight. Conscious and successful living and aging in the brave new world in which we are currently living or soon will be. My guest tonight is George Caponelli, co-founder with his wife, Sedina, of Age Nation. They are experts on societal, organizational, and individual change, internationally known consultants and 
and the authors of Say Yes to Change, 25 Keys for Making Change Work for You, and Authenticity, Simple Strategies for Greater Meaning and Purpose at, home, at Work and at Home. And under the Age Nation banner, George and Sedina uh, both have created a unique multi-platform media and events environment that features AgeNation.com, AgeNation Radio, Navigating Your Future, a live and online conference and learning platform, Next, a new national digital magazine, and Age Nation Consulting, which is their innovative consulting and coaching division, bringing solutions to the fastest-growing audience in the country and the organizations that serve them. And the Capanelli's most recent book, Do Not Go Quietly, Real Solutions and Empowering Strategies for People Who Weren't Born Yesterday, is the topic up for discussion right now. So let's get started as this is really, it's a very important topic for everyone. Good evening, George. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. How are you being this evening? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Oh, thank you. You know, your book, Do Not Go Quietly, it really is for everyone from Gen Xers to baby boomers and elders, so that's really anybody over the age of 40 who wants to reconnect with or recommit to their dreams, share their wisdom, experience, create a legacy of genuine value for those who will come after them and who understand that the best reality is yet to come. However, it's not just for those people. It's also for those under 40 who want to better understand the road that they will soon be traveling, the road their parents, older friends, relatives are currently on, and to understand a whole lot more about the future, you know, which can be complex, that awaits them. Now, this information hasn't really been discussed all that much, not until now, not until your book and all that you and Sedina are doing. So... Tell us, what was the catalyst for all of this, for writing the book and for starting the whole Age Nation thing? Uh, well, we, we uh, you know, uh, Sedina and I have always worked to create, as you indicated in our bios, uh, individual and organizational and societal change. And um, so that's been a lifelong commitment. And um, we arrived at a point where... Uh, our parents, uh, both sets of parents, were getting along in years, and we began to discover that uh, we needed to play uh, a, a much more uh, engaged role in their lives. Um, and when we started to do that, what we discovered was that um, there isn't a blueprint for aging in America. It used to be that uh, there was a nuclear family. People stayed in the same geography. Uh, when an aging relative uh, arrived at a place where they needed support, they were given support by the immediate family. Um, and the idea of putting an older relative in a nursing home or a, uh, you know, a, a life care facility of some kind just wasn't uh, on the plate. But our world has changed. You know, families have dispersed. The nuclear family. Uh, isn't what it used to be. And so our world hasn't found an adequate replacement for all of that. Our government isn't prepared. Our institutions are not prepared. Our businesses are not prepared. And many of us as individuals are not prepared for this demographic revolution that is underway that eventually we'll see some suggest as much as 50% of our population over 50. So when we came face-to-face -face with that reality, 
we realized something needed to be done, and that set us on this path that uh, has been the genesis for Age Nation and for this book, Do Not Go Quietly. Why is it that the media doesn't pick up on this and speak to it in a big way? It is so vitally important, and as you said, you know, our institutions, including the government and business, they're not prepared for either the challenges or the opportunities that, that are coming forward, and yet it's not talked about. It just doesn't seem to be important enough for some reason. Well, it's way beyond important, you know, uh, but so is, um, you know, so is climate change. So, uh, you know, there, there, there are so many issues that the media doesn't cover. In this instance, America tends to be a land that is uh, youth-obsessed and age-adverse. It, it has been for a very long time. Um, and so... Uh, Americans, um, uh, uh, you see, when America was founded, it was founded by people who came from other places in the world, and oftentimes they were leaving circumstances that, you know, whether it was the the blights on potatoes in Ireland or whether it was the economic challenges in Italy or in Europe or in other parts of the world. So people came here generally younger people. They didn't bring their older relatives. And so America began as kind of a hybrid nation. Um, and uh, it's gotten worse over time in terms of its uh, failure to acknowledge the reality of life. Uh, and the media, after all, uh, isn't independent anymore. It's owned by large corporate conglomerates and what they want to do is they want to sell stuff they want to right. sell stuff they want to uh, uh, encourage people to become even more uh, avid uh, consumers and um, uh, until recently there's been the belief that they needed to focus attention on young people not realizing that it was people who are 40 and older that have all the money that have all the buying power, that have all the discernment. Um, the illusion is that if you concentrate on young people, uh, you build uh, long-time customers. But young people aren't very loyal as customers, whereas people who are older and have more discernment, they actually are loyal. They tend to stick to brands they like and so forth. So um, we're just, uh, as a nation, uh, as I say, uh, as we are with climate change and, and uh, you know, energy policies and whatnot, we tend to be asleep at the switch, and we're asleep on this issue as well. Yes, and it's unfortunate, too, because we're asleep on the issue of how we treat our our older people. Instead of revering them as other countries do, we tend to put them out to pasture, you know, and just say, well, they don't even know how to turn on a PC, so forget it. They don't know anything. Instead of you know, anchoring on the the wisdom and the experience for everything that they've done and paved the way for all of the rest of us so that we could come forward and have better lives. It just It's just so sad because everybody who's in the media is getting older too, and I don't know why they aren't seeing that. They're looking down the barrel of a gun just like everybody else, and that barrel's getting shorter with every day. You know, it's time to do something. So I commend you for coming forward with your book, being able to offer 
all of this to people out there because I think the people under 40 who read it truly will have an understanding of what they're coming up against because there's a lot out there that they're coming up against. It's not, you know, it's not easy to be older in this world right now. No, and it's, uh, you know, this tendency that you were just talking about in terms of marginalizing uh, elders and, and uh, disregarding their, their experience and their wisdom, it's a huge danger. Uh, throughout history, uh, uh, cultures that have thrived and been successful over long periods of time are those cultures that have incorporated the wisdom of their elders. You know, in... in uh, Ancient societies, elder councils were the place that those uh, in governance went as a last, um, uh, as a court of kind of last approval. They they invited the the engagement of the elders because uh, elders tend to think with historical perspective and understanding, whereas younger people who are uh, enormously impatient to get things done. They're interested in just uh, forging ahead. And so societies that don't incorporate the wisdom of their elders throughout history have imploded. And we're on the brink of the same thing. You know, in industry today, there's this huge move and has been for some time to reduce cost by outsizing or right-sizing or downsizing. And what they do is they get rid of older workers uh, who they believe cost more, cost more in terms of health care benefits, and they have higher salaries. And young people who are hungry and anxious will do almost anything to keep their job. Um, unfortunately, when organizations do that, what they do is they eliminate the collective wisdom of the organization. Um, so, yes, it might be more expensive to keep an older worker, but you have not just talent and, and understanding, but you have a wisdom about how solutions can be formed and whatnot. And when that collective wisdom is lost, uh, the loss is irreplaceable, just irreplaceable. And it does hit the bottom line because a lot of the people that are making these decisions are younger, and so they're looking at dollars, thinking, well, that's, that's what we have to be concerned with is the dollar amount, not understanding that there is a value to the experience that these people bring to the table that you can't – it's priceless. Yes. You know, it's absolutely priceless, and yet they're kicking people out and saying, no, forget it. You know, if you're over 40, it's really difficult to get a job. If you're over 50, it's harder, and forget it if you're 60 and you've been downsized out. It's just not going to happen for you. You have to pretty much go into your own business. And it's funny that you said the people coming over from other countries initially were younger. They were, and people didn't live as long. And now people are living longer, and I think People don't know how to deal with that. They don't know what to do with that because it was unexpected. You know, like when Social Security went into first being um, established, there was a certain life expectancy, and now all of this is, is almost backfiring. But we as a society have kind of done this to ourselves because we don't, you know, we don't, uh, we don't look at what we have here. We just say, okay, forget it and move it aside and not realize the value that's there. It's, it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's a form of uh, 
there's a term that's emerging, uh, especially in the environmental uh, arena, that's called cheater economics. You know, and mm-hmm. um, what the, the term implies is that people uh, uh, look at their balance sheet and they add up numbers, but they're false numbers because they don't consider long-term costs. Well, the same is true with a lot of the fools who currently are in Washington, frankly, and in some of our state capitals. Um, And uh, what they do is they put forward an argument that says, well, gee, if we eliminate uh, focus on older people and we cut programs for them out of the budget, then our country will do better. Now, only an idiot would basically come up with that kind of cheater economic because by uh, taking programs that support uh, older people away from or out of the budget, what we do is we increase the cost to local environments, to local states, to local cities and municipalities and towns because uh, those people who aren't getting national programs still have the same needs. They have needs for Meals at, on Wheels programs or local transportation programs. They have to go to doctors. They have health care issues. So denying it at one level doesn't make it go away. It just makes one balance sheet look good, but the balance sheet further down the line gets completely out of whack. It's one of the reasons that more and more local communities and cities uh, find themselves teetering on the brink of insolvency because fools at one level pretend uh, that there aren't costs there, but they are there. They're just pushing them down to someone else's balance sheet, and that's deadly for America. Oh, yeah, but nobody seems to care because they figure, well, by the time anybody finds out, I'll have left my job, and what do I care? Because they don't. People don't care. I think that's what it boils down to. Well, you know, you could, get to. Them to, you could get them to care by uh, stopping this nonsense whereby somebody goes to Washington as a congressman for two years, and they get, oh a salary for life, they get health care benefits for life, they get all kinds of privileges for life. We ought to go back to the idea of uh, citizen representatives. They go to Washington, they get paid a little bit of money while they're there. When they leave, they get off the dole. They're responsible for their own health care. They're part of Social Security and all the rest of it. These people are so out of control. I mean, mm-hmm. can you imagine where, where in any private sector or nonprofit sector or university sector would somebody come in for a job for two years or four years or even six years and retire with a lifetime pension? It's the most absurd thing that I've ever heard. It is. It's crazy, and you know it wouldn't happen. I, I have a friend, and I said to her, you know, I think I might run for Congress. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And I will tell. I will go on the platform that, look, I'm going to go and bust my hump for you, okay? But the reason I'm doing this is because I want health care for life. So that's really the only reason I'm running. But I will work for you. I will do. I put in my two years, and I'll do the best I can. But that's really why I'm running. And I bet you anything, being honest like that, they'd say, yeah, let's vote her in. What the heck? At least she's saying she'll work. 
<laughs> you know. I well, mean, especially it's, relative <laughs> relative to these uh, country club congressional people who work hardly at all, who basically obstruct uh, all of the good work that uh, the people of America would like to see done. Uh, it's unconscionable, and we need to put a stop to it, you know, um, because un- it, it's one of the reasons that Sedina and I wrote this book. This book for us is a clarion call. We're telling people who are older Gen Xers, boomers, and elders, you've got to get back into the mm-hmm. game. You've got to raise your voice. You've got to use the skills and the ability and the power that you have to make a significant difference. Your voice belongs at the table, whether it's in a town uh, 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 town hall meeting or whether it's in an election of some kind or whether it's in the votes that each of us casts every day with the way we spend our dollars and our attention. If we're spending our attention on people who are muckrakers and fear mongers and who are lying to us, then we're the fools for doing so. We ought to withdraw our attention and watch their advertising revenue shrivel up and watch them disappear from the air or from print or from whatnot. If we're buying products that are made by companies or organizations that don't support the common good, then shame on us. Uh, because we're providing profit for companies that aren't willing to support their own workers with health care or adequate uh, wages to live on, or they're, spy- they're selling us shoddy products, or they're making products or services that are toxic to our environment. We can stop all of that by becoming discerning consumers, awake contributors, and people who say, we are not over the hill, we're not out of luck, we're human beings who have earned the right to have a voice in our own future. And, you know, that's the rite of passage. You know, as you age, you have a rite of passage to different things, and each and every one of us should be able to, you know, you need to go and vote, but people think, oh, my vote doesn't matter, so they won't do that. You know, that drives me crazy because it's a privilege and I don't want it taken away from me. So I vote in every election, even if it's a one-question vote. I make sure I get my butt down there and I vote, you know, just to make sure that I'm doing it and I'm doing voting the way I want so that it may make a difference. And, and it's interesting because when we look at the elders in our society and the respect that they don't get and the way that they don't get the respect, I think makes them feel – it depresses them, and it makes them feel like, well, I can't contribute anymore. So your book does a lot to to bring people to the fact that look at how much these people have done that have gone before. A lot of people have done things at the age of 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, and, and those things are in your book. And they can see that now it's time to really help these people get out there and do things. These people, their values were different years ago. That's gone now. These are the people who are the elders now who held the values 
of the country and what was in the family and all that was right and good. And that's when America was really, really strong and good. And now we take those same elders who, just because they got older, we say things like, well, you know, they can't turn on a PC, so forget about it. Grandma and Grandpa don't know what's going on. Well, Grandma and Grandpa know a heck of a lot more than you do, you know, you, you child, you know. Um, and, and it's just, it's a shame that, that the parents in the middle allow the children to te- treat the elders in the way that they do. I don't know what happened, why that happened, why the disrespect came into play, when really there's so much we can learn from those people and get them back into our society because they have so much to offer. If you go and talk to anybody who's older, I have a friend who said, you have too many older friends. And I laughed. And I do. I have a lot of people, who, friends who are old over the age of 70 and 80. I like them. There's a lot to learn from them. They have knowledge and wisdom. And quite frankly, they're a lot easier to talk to than a lot of other people who don't have an understanding of what it really is to live, you know, to, to live purposefully. Well, <clears throat> And it's not just, um, I mean, certainly, you know, the the parents in those categories of, you know, the 30-somethings and the early 40-somethings, they bear a piece of responsibility because you're right. Uh, Their children uh, oftentimes uh, follow their lead. They listen to the comments they make. And if they are not, as children, respecting their grandparents or whatnot, then their parents have... Uh, certainly responsibility for that. But it's also the grandparents that have a responsibility. One, mm-hmm. they should not tolerate being marginalized. Two, they should not tolerate being made fun of uh, in our world. And three, they have the capacity to create bridges of understanding with both younger people in their 30s and early 40s and younger people still by recognizing that they need to speak the truth about life, not just tell stories of the good old days and their victories and all they know, but to admit some of the frailties and follies and mistakes that they have made so that young people can learn from those mistakes and not replicate them. They also need to be more curious about the life that exists. And so if they're not conversant in terms of new technology, um, there are courses, programs. uh, I've watched so many older grandparents sit down with younger children, and younger children will teach them how to use an iPad or how to get on the Internet or how to do a text message, and then using those skills, they can stay in touch with young people. They can demonstrate that old age is not uh, a time to be rigid and calcified, but to be flexible, and that wisdom needs to be communicated in a lot of different ways. So all, all parties, young kids, who are disrespectful, need to remember and learn about the wisdom of their elders. Mid-aged parents need to make sure that they act as a bridge between the generations, and older people need to reach out across those uh, lines of, uh, of different generations and say, I am here, I have value, let me demonstrate 
my receptivity and value to you so that you can demonstrate that toward me. Absolutely. We are talking with George Capanelli, co-author with his wife, Sedina, of Do Not Go Quietly. You can learn more by going to their website, www.agenation.com. I'm going to spell that for you, so go ahead and write it down. It's A-G-E-N-A-T-I-O-N.com. And you can check it out after the show. There is a myriad of information that is extremely valuable. You have no idea. You just need to go and check it out. You know, George, one of the chapters is entitled, I like this one, No Faster Than Feelings Can Follow. Do you want to talk yes. about that one? I love Absolutely. that. <laughs> so, um you know, we 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 are living in a world that that uh, values uh, brain power enormously in terms of thinking and analysis and rationalization and a whole series of critical brain functions. The problem is the brain doesn't feel; it thinks, um, and feelings uh, are another really important tool or ally that we have to navigate life. Feelings, uh, I'm sad, I'm hot, I'm cold, I'm happy, I'm neutral, I'm depressed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. They're like red lights that flash on the dashboard of a car. In this case, they flash on the dashboard of individuals to let them know when they are on course, and off course, when they are in balance and out of balance. So if you don't pay any attention to your feelings, you just pay attention to your thoughts, then you're like a one-legged person hopping through life. You're not using both legs of, uh, of the, the, the body, the emotional body as well as the physical body to navigate in life. So... Uh, the, the chapter, Do Not Go Faster Than Feeling Can Follow, means that somebody might think pretty fast, but feelings are a little slower. And so by incorporating an awareness, paying attention to how you feel, you end up navigating in life much more effectively. If you override your feelings, then eventually it comes back to bite you in the forms of mental imbalance and depression and physical disease and uh, all kinds of things. You end up leading lives that you don't want to lead, that don't make you happy, but you keep overriding your feelings because you think you're supposed to do this or you think you're supposed to do that. So if you slow down and consult your feelings like an ally, you pause, you get quiet, you simply ask yourself, how do I feel about that? Oh, I see, I'm anxious about that, or boy, I'm very enthusiastic about that, or whatnot. That's another piece of valuable information to help you live a life that you were born to live. And that, that goes right into, in the next chapter that follows, actually, in your book, the difference between believing and knowing. You know, and there's a huge difference between those two words, and yet people just say, well, it's semantics. No, it's not. Uh, it's a, it is a huge difference. You know, Carl Jung, um, who along with Freud really created the, the science of psychology, um, uh, Jung talked a lot about the difference between believing and knowing. Um, knowing 
comes from oneself, from an actual experience, from an encounter, from an opportunity. Um, it's, it's kind of like you get on a bicycle when you're a child, and you can think about, you can watch, you can believe that bicycles can be ridden, but once you've ridden it, once you know what it feels like, once you know what to do with the handlebars and the pedals, then that knowledge is embedded in us, and nobody can ever take that away. Beliefs, we have to depend on other people's experience. And unfortunately, we are living in a world where most of our lives are based on other people's experience. It's why we've become a nation of voyeurs why reality shows are so popular and why we spend so much time watching other people do things rather than doing them ourselves. And um, so that makes us susceptible to manipulation and to misinformation and to any number of things. Uh, a long t I'm a sculptor uh, when I'm not writing and doing other kinds of things. And a long time ago, I was in my studio. It was a joint studio. I was living in New York. And a teacher that I valued enormously came in. And um, he was looking at a piece that I was working on. And I said to him, Jose, what do you see? And he turned to me, this 93-year-old man, with a ferocity, you know, a ferocious mm -hmm. look in his eye. And he said to me, what do you care what I see? When I leave, I take my eyes with me. It's what you see that counts. And that's what more teachers ought to be communicating to more students. Education means to call, educare, it means to call forth from within. So that creates an independence, an empowerment on the student. Today, education is about mimicry. Here, let me tell you something, and if you repeat it back pretty close to what I said, you get a high grade. It doesn't teach us to think, to evaluate, to analyze, to experiment, to make mistakes. Education today is failing because it's not living up to its name. It's not empowering students, creating imagination and curiosity and inviting them to challenge themselves. It's about roteness and mimicry so that they'll go out and become good little boys and girls in the great army of the employed. It's about productivity and performance and staying in line. It's not about being a voyager, an experimenter, a, a discoverer, somebody that's going to break new boundaries. Those are the people we rever, but we teach our children to be mimics. And, and they don't, they're not allowed to dream or have desires because they are limited in their beliefs because of what they're given to do. Everything is given to them. Here, here's some technology, watch this, and they aren't allowed to use their imaginations to create everything else. So therefore, when you say to them, and this is in your book too, you talk about dreams and desires, and everybody has them, no doubt, no doubt. And there's a difference between those two, but I don't think kids get it. 
No, I don't think they do either. You know, in in ancient societies, when a when a when a new baby was born, the elders of the tribe or the community gathered, and one of their tasks was to identify um, what one or more of the unique gifts were that that child was bringing to the tribe or to the community. And then, as elders, their jobs were to help that child develop those gifts, the unique gifts that they came in with. Now, that's vastly different from what happens today. A child comes in, and the first thing we do not want them to be is different. We want them to fit in. We want them to get approved of. We want them to not stick out. Well, if you don't stick out, if you're not different, if you're not unique, how are you going to be yourself? How are you going to be authentic? How are you going to develop that unique note in the great song that you're here to sing? And if you don't sing your note, it's not like the world is going to end, but there's going to be a little gap, a silence where your note belongs. And Sedina and I, and we talk about it a lot in the book, we believe that uh, each of us came here to live a unique life, not a duplicate life. We didn't come here to live somebody else's life. We're not here to live a corporate life or a this life or a that life because mommy and daddy want us to be safe or secure. We came here to have an adventure, a physical adventure as a spiritual being in this remarkable physical universe called the Earth. And that's why so many of us lack passion, lack engagement, lack enthusiasm. Uh, That's why so many of us withdraw uh, from life, because we're not living our lives, we're living somebody else's life. So we say, you're never too old, or never too young to live your dream because your dream, the dream you came here to live is like a blueprint. And if you follow it, there is a high probability that you will live a life of genuine meaning and purpose and engagement and commitment. It may not be a life of fame. It may not be a life of wealth, but it will be a life of joy and a life of quality and a life of 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 wonder and magic and when we pass on when we are getting ready to pass on we will be able to do that when we die we will make that crossing knowing that we have done what we came here to do couldn't agree with you more i think that that's probably so important for people to understand that it doesn't matter what you are or what your job is. Not everyone can be Oprah. Not everyone can be, you know, the Dalai Lama. Not everyone is going to be a leader of a nation. But everybody plays a huge role in their part. It is significant. And people don't look at that and know that. And it's it's interesting because I have a friend who went to uh, a retreat at Kripalu in Massachusetts. And things were coming up during a workshop. And finally, the instructor turned to the group and said, you already are everything you're trying so hard to be. And my client was telling me this, and I started to laugh. And she said, well, that's when I got it. And then I laughed even harder. And I said, well, yeah, we are. And it reminded, I was reminded of that when I was reading your book because there were a few places where you stated, we are the ones we've been waiting for. To me, that's very similar to what this instructor said. 
Yes. You know, we are you know, the ones a, we've been waiting for. There's a famous story of a, uh, a rabbi who had lived a long and very exemplary life, very well respected and regarded by everyone. And he was coming close to the end of his days, and he was talking to one of his students, and uh, he was expressing some doubts and confusions, you know, about uh, about uh, what would happen when he died. And, and the student said to him, but Rabbi, you know, you've you've changed so many lives. You've been kind of like Moses to our community. And this old rabbi said to him, uh, child, um, when I meet my maker, I don't believe my maker is going to say to me, why were you not more like Moses? He's going to say, why were you not more like yourself? Mm. You know? Yep, your authentic uh, self. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that's you're right. What really... not, everybody, not everybody came in to be famous. Some came in uh, to raise a child uh, with love and tenderness. Some came in uh, to teach uh, uh, young people or old people. Some people came in to heal. Some people came in to uh, to be so good at fixing things that are broken. It doesn't matter. What matters is that if you catch hold of that thing that makes you you and you live it, then, uh, you know, this whole fear of aging and death that is so prevalent in our world, uh, it, it, it doesn't need to exist. If you've run a good race, your race, and you've done it with integrity and, and honor, it doesn't mean you haven't make, made mistakes or screwed up at times, but you've, you've been true to yourself and what you came here to do, then at the end, it's like a, the, the end is like a, a, an opportunity to have a vacation, from a life well lived rather than something that's dreaded. Oh, death, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about getting older. Well, that's because you're not living. If you live mm -hmm. a life that's full and rich, then you don't have regrets. Sure, there are things you wanted to do differently or better or, or things that you didn't do that you wished that you had done, but those are insignificant when you're really connected and living a joyful, engaged, authentic life. Absolutely. And, you know, because you're, you're, there's a purpose to it. If you're living purposefully, and you're for, yeah. then you're fulfilling everything you need to fulfill. And you kind of know when that's happening because things are just going along as they should. You know, and yes, there are going to be bumps in the road, but we all have that. But that's part of our growing. That's, that's how we learn. And we're here to learn, too. So, you know, and we can learn from our elders a whole bunch. We can learn a lot from these people. And as we're coming into it, we can say, okay, well, what can I do to turn around and pass it along? Because I always thought that's what the job was of each generation, to help the next generation, give them a leg up, but not so much so that now they're not accountable and they don't understand responsibility. Yeah, and, and the truth is none of us can live anyone's life for them anyway, you know. So... We can share what we know. We can give people uh, an opportunity to learn skills or, or gain perspective or whatnot. But when it comes to being on the field of life, everybody's got to play their own position. You know, Everybody's got to do the things that they have to do anyway. And those bumps uh, 
that you talk about, those are the challenges. Uh, mm-hmm. If life had no challenges, no ups and downs, uh, 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 you know, we'd all be sitting uh, uh, dribbling uh, with our lips and, and gazing off into the, uh, the, 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 the ethers someplace. You know, that's not what – life is a challenge, uh, every part of it, from the moment we make our way through the birth canal to the moment mm-hmm. we take our last breath. Every phase has new learning, new challenges, new obstacles, and that's why it is said that the earth is a place in which people can learn the most and raise their consciousness the most because it is in meeting those challenges, falling in front of some, jumping over others, mastering, learning, that this remarkable journey becomes rewarding and when we're finished we leave with the collective wisdom we've accumulated and that contributes to the whole and if we flinch we shirk we avoid we don't learn our lessons um, then we're not living uh, the kind of noble life that we're really capable of living and that's the whole goal, to just try to really put everything you can into it, because what have you got to lose? I mean, really, you don't. You don't have, you know, it's just a growth thing, and it's just, it, it can be so fulfilling if you just take that leap. But a lot of people are a little bit too afraid. You know, recently, you and Sedina announced the formation of the World Council of Wisdom Keepers, and its founding members include Ram Das, Angelis Arian, she was on my show, you know, um, <laughs> Father Marks Hubbard, Dr. Gladys McGarry, Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith, Michael Mee, Jean Houston, and, of course, you and Sedina. And among your primary missions are making the world age-friendly, working with the United Nations to name a Year of the Elder, working with the Obama administration and other governments to establish new departments of longevity and to establish elder councils in cities and towns, businesses and institutions all over the globe. I found this so fascinating, and it is such a wonderful endeavor. How, how is it all coming together at this point? It's such a great thing that you're doing. Is it, uh, are you having much success at all in being able to get through to these people? Well, it's, uh, first of all, it's, uh, it's early in its evolution. Uh, all mm-hmm. of the members of the council that you mentioned have been uh, invited and have agreed to be part of the council because the work they do every day uh, in their own ways, the books they write, the programs that they lead and create, the workshops and uh, they conduct, the talks they give, they're all about um, honoring the wisdom of elders and they're all about uh, raising the consciousness of humanity. So um, uh, just in what they do, they are contributing to creating an age-friendly world. Now, in the months and years ahead, we will be organizing a lot of new programs. We'll be um, creating uh, conferences where these wisdom keepers will get together. We did the first one in uh, Santa Fe last August. It was called Navigating Your Future. Um, and Gene uh, uh, Houston was there and Michael Mead and Ramdas came in via remote and Angelus Arian and, and uh, 
uh, Zalman Shack, Rabbi Zalman Shack de Shalomi and Michael Beckwith uh, and his uh, wife Ricky um, mm-hmm. uh, sent us a, 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 a video message because they were going to be at another event. So um, we plan to bring these conferences around the country. And so if there are people out there that want to know more about it or are interested in helping to support the Council of Wisdom Keepers, they can contact us at uh, agenation at gmail.com or info at agenation.com. So uh, stay tuned. There's a lot ahead. Uh, And as for making the world age-friendly, when you think about it, um, I don't know when the last time was that any of your listeners got up in the middle of the night to try to take an aspirin or a uh, uh, something that that they needed to, for a little relief or whatnot, and they tried to read the label on a on a bottle of pharmaceuticals. It's almost impossible, even if you're Superman with X-ray vision. That's um, true. <laughs> you, you go into stores today, and there are these little tiny price signs on. Uh, on the the, the aisles, uh, the listing of what's in the aisle, uh, all of it uh, speaks to a country that's completely asleep. It doesn't understand the requirements of of aging people. In Europe, at least, they're beginning to create age-friendly supermarkets where products are placed in at levels that older people can easily reach them and signs are bigger and, you know... So there's a tremendous amount that needs to be done in America, a uh, tremendous, tremendous amount. And Absolutely. this is one, one of the things yep. that uh, the World Council will be doing. And you've got great people that are online there. I've seen many of them at seminars and such. You, you couldn't have picked a better better group of people to, to get this going, you know, if you tried. You just you did a bang-up job with that. There is one thing that I really loved when I first opened your book. It's your poem, George. Would you mind if I read it? Not at all. This is George Capanelli's poem, Not Quietly. No, we will not go quietly, not meekly into this or any other night. We who cheered when Martin marched and who first heard Rachel Carson's call, We who lost our heroes to hate and tried to find ourselves in love. We who died at Kent State and cheered when the wall came down. We who contributed to the loss of America's grace and then celebrated the rebirth of hope. We will not go quietly, not meekly, into this or any other night. We will harvest our experience and bay at the moon of new possibility. We will dance to life's mysteries and forge a path of renewed promise for ourselves and those who come after us. We who hold in our hands and hearts the power to resurrect the dream, we who stood on the front lines before and who are called once again, we will not go meekly, not quietly, into this or any other night. I loved that. I thought that's a beautiful poem that you wrote. And it's, I think it speaks really well to, to our elders. I think it just kind of sums it up beautifully. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate, you are, yeah, I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, very much. You are and, quite welcome. That was it was a beautiful poem. Do do you have any closing advice for those of us who were not born yesterday, which is everyone? <laughs> uh, yeah, just a, a couple of things that I think are really important for us. First of all, I think that it's 
essential that we turn down the noise of the world and stop mm-hmm. listening as much to what other people have to say and other people have to think and that we'll that we spend more time in the silence in reflection in prayer in meditation in contemplation so that we can tell the difference between what we know and what other people believe and i think uh, using that as a yardstick will make our world such a better place in which to live i also think that um being grateful, you know, uh, Meister yes. Eckhart, the great mystic, once said, yes. if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, it is enough. And I think that if we say thank you often for the little things, uh, for the breath that's in our body, for um, the light that enters our window, for um, the, the smile that somebody gives us, for the, for the, for the enormous gifts, even when life is hard, for the enormous gifts that life is, I think that's also really important. And I think to remember uh, that one uh, must, must truly live the life we were born to live. So uh, no matter how old you are, uh, uh, do little things. It doesn't have, you don't have to change the universe. Just do a little piece. If you paint, if you write, if you sing, if you fix, if you uh, reach out, if you mentor, no matter what it is that you do, do it with love, and our world will be a much better place. That is so true. And the gratitude part, well, the theme song on the show is thank you. And, yeah, I think gratitude, if, if people would live from their heart, from a place of gratitude, and when something happens, no matter what it is, you can find something to be grateful for. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. There is always something to be grateful for. I know people are shaking their heads saying, no, T, that's not true. Yes, it is. You might have to look for it, but you will find it, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you just look around and say, I have a roof over my head. Some people don't, and that is to be grateful for, or I'm breathing. Some people can't. They need to have oxygen tents or, you know, so there's always something to be grateful for. I could not agree with you more on that. Uh, How can people get your book? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, Amazon.com. Um, okay. uh, it's a best one. It's a bestseller on Amazon, so they can order it on Amazon. They can go to Barnes and Noble. They can go to their local bookstore. Um, if they can't find it in any of those places, they can come to uh, our book site, which is do not go quietly the uh, Incidentally, we're really proud. We've just received two uh, 2013 special book awards. The first is by the Pinnacle Book Achievement. Uh, it's a Pinnacle Book Achievement Award, and it's for the most inspirational uh, uh, nonfiction book, 2013. And we've also just won the Independent Booksellers uh, Books for Better Living Gold Medal. Um, so uh, uh, the book is really a practical, accessible guide for living consciously and aging wisely, and you can get it at all of those places. That is great. I did not know that. I did not get that information about your book winning the two awards. That is really cool, George. Congratulations. Kudos to you and Sadina. That's great. Oh, you are quite welcome. 
Yeah, so listeners, we need you to spread the word. Every week I tell you that we know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, and I ask you to share it with your friends. And over the past couple of weeks, we have had some pretty intense hot topics, and I've been stressing to you in a big way to share the link to the show with your family and friends. It's important information. We live in a very challenging and instantly changing world. That's why I have the guests I have to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live. So send the link to the show to everyone you know and let them have the opportunity to learn and grow along with you. Thank you again, George. I I have to say, when I met you at INATS in Denver this past June, there was just something so very special about you, and I truly wish both you and Sadina the very best with all of your endeavors. You are truly making a difference, and I am honored to have crossed paths with you both. I, I am so I, I have such a grateful heart. I truly do. I thank you so very much for joining me tonight. I couldn't be happier. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks, and thanks for all you do in the world, T. And at some point, Sadin and I would be delighted to talk to you again. So many blessings, and Godspeed with your work. Huh? Oh, thank you. I'll be at one of your seminars. I'm I'm going to be checking that out. You better believe. (laughs) On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next Wednesday at 6 p.m. for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find a list of archive shows, the upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 